Welcome to another episode of Pimp Your Brilliance with Monique Malcolm, a podcast about brilliant people leveraging their passions to create their own opportunities. I aim to show you what's really possible when you shut down the course of fear and lean into your genius zone. You can learn more about this show and subscribe for updates by visiting keepchasingthestars.com backslash podcast, or come hang out with me on Instagram at starchasersonly. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, Star Chasers. This episode of Pimp Your Brilliance is brought to you by the Visionary Journal. The Visionary Journal is a goal-setting guide, mini vision board, and day planner. It provides a simple structure to help you break your goals into actionable steps that you can integrate into your daily life. For more information and to order your own copy of the Visionary Journal, visit keepchasingthestars.com backslash visionary journal. Welcome to episode 10. If you need more information about this episode or show notes, you can find them at keepchasingthestars.com backslash 10. Today's interview is with Jess Peterson. Jess is the CEO and creative producer of Mighty Oak, a creative studio that specializes in handmade animation and design. This is probably one of my favorite interviews to date because I really feel that the work Jess and her team create with Mighty Oak is just stellar. And you'll actually hear me kind of fangirling as we go through the interview about how much I love their work. I met Jess through a women's uh, business incubator type coaching program a few years ago, and I just fell in love with their style and I love what they do. Jess shares a lot about how she got started, why they decided to create a handmade animation studio, and she just offers a lot of really inspiring thoughts and insight and lessons that she's learned over the course of running her business. This episode is great for anybody who's an artist, an illustrator, pretty much any type of creative. But if you are in the visual arts and you're interested in animation, she definitely shares a lot of information that will be useful to you. So make sure you grab a pen, some paper and take some notes. And here we go. Hey, Jess, welcome to the show. Hi, Monique. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you here today because you and I have worked together previously on a commercial for the Visionary Journal, and I am obsessed with your work and just all of the things that you do with your brand, so I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You were one of our first clients, so thank you. You helped us get our start. Well, that's exciting. That's really exciting to hear. So this is all coming full circle. That's right. Yes. You guys have grown like leaps and bounds since then. So I am really looking forward to having this chat. Cool. Yeah, me too. Before we get started, I love to ask people to share a bit of their background. So how did you get started? Where did this idea come from? Sure. So there, there's a long story and a short story. Uh, I'll try to get somewhere in between uh, because I actually have to say that I had no idea I would get into animation as a, as a field, but now that I'm here, it makes so much sense. Uh, but my background actually is in music, and I actually worked in the music industry for a number of years uh, until about 2009. I left after the economy tanked, and I went back to school to learn about media studies and specifically museums. And I got a job at the Children's Museum of the Arts, which is a nonprofit museum downtown for kids ages 10 months to 15 years old, learning how to make art and also animate. And that's where I met 
my one of my now business partners, Emily Collins, she ran our animation studio. And when I finally got to see what stop motion was and how it worked, I totally fell in love and was like, this is a way to tell a story. So I left the museum and started my own business. I was doing a lot of brand work for women starting their own businesses. And after about seven months of that, decided I really wanted to hone in and do the one thing I could do really well, which was tell stories. And video was the way to do that. And so I called Emily and asked her to maybe join me on this journey. And so we retook Mighty Oak and rehashed it and, and reworked it. And it became the animation studio that we are known for being today. But it was a, a journey of, of just kind of following, following my interests, following what I was naturally good at, being uh, willing to recognize when my path wasn't working and pivoting so that I could find what I was meant to do. Ooh, and you mentioned something uh, really important there when you're talking about pivoting. Yes. Because I find uh, sometimes when we're creative and we do these, we have these ideas in these businesses, we get stuck and we really want to kind of hold on to them tightly, even when they don't work anymore, even when we're kind of feeling called to do something else. So I think that's interesting um, that you recognize these different changes and just kind of decided that you were going to just kind of go full on in that. Yeah. Well, I would say, to be honest, it, I, again, I'm giving the medium short to long story. You know, it was a, it's a hard process to admit to yourself that the thing you've started or tried to do may not be the right solution. Um, in fact, I had actually written a, a business plan for Mighty Oak 1.0 uh, and delivered it for a business plan competition on my 30th birthday and went home to my mom crying because I realized that it wasn't a viable business model. Um, and that's actually being home was when I realized I was in my, my childhood bedroom and I found a bunch of old uh, books and plays that I had written as a child and also a bunch of fan mail from older students because they used to shop my stories to older kids to read and people talking about just, you know, the my creativity and what a good storyteller I was and, you know, can't wait to see what you do in the future. And I went, oh, have I been ignoring this talent I've had for so long? Uh, maybe this is something I really need to revisit. And so it, it really took a, a while uh, to really come to terms with that pivot and that change. Uh, but I'm glad that I did. It, I think what I had to learn is that pivoting is not is not the equivalent of failure. It means that you're paying attention and that you're willing to change. And that's a good thing. Oh, I love that perspective. I'm definitely going to quote you on that. That it, it just means that you're paying attention. And I think that's an excellent perspective. So talk to me about handmade animation. So why a handmade animation studio? It's, I think that's such a niche thing. And when people see your work, and I'll, I'll definitely link to it, um, it's so distinct and it's so neat. So why specifically did you decide to make it handmade animation? Yeah, well, a few reasons. Um, one, that was the medium that Emily was in. So at first, that was it was based on, well, this is the skill set we know. Um, on a creative standpoint, we find handmade animation just to have, I mean, literally to have that human touch, which we think is getting lost in the digital world. I mean, we combine technology with all, all that we do, but we wanted to make sure that there was some sort of emotional connection to the stories we were sharing and found that handmade animation did that really well. On a branding standpoint, I will say maybe the most important thing I learned in grad school when I was studying media was that there's three ways, you know, in a general way of speaking, uh, to think about branding yourself. And one is that you become the, the, like, the Walmart of your 
of your brand of your business, meaning that you are willing to offer everything under the sun for a really low price and go on quantity over quality. Uh, number two is that you become the innovator, like Apple, you know, per se, and uh, or or Uber, but know that competitors are going to come, and so that's a that's a bold choice to make, but also a risky one. The third one is to be niche, to really become an expert and own your space. So I actually did keep that in mind when we were thinking about what to do with this next phase of Mighty Oak. I realized that, you know, we were small. We wanted to start a creative agency, but there's a million creative agencies, you know, not just even in New York, but around the country and the globe. So how are we going to stand out? And rather than try to be a competitor with other companies, we wanted to become a partner and be that go-to person. We may not be the right company for every brand, but when you need our style, we are the people you can go to uh, because we have figured out how to hone every aspect of handmade animation that there is to do. Uh, so that's kind of what brought us into that space. It was a mix of just the skill set we had, um, a passion for the stories we wanted to tell, and then just understanding where we would fit in the landscape. That's awesome. So you mentioned that Emily, this was the space that Emily was in originally. Yes. So how did you like fit yourself into there? Because I'm assuming that you didn't just come in with the skill set of doing ham- animation. Like how did you prepare yourself to take this path? Right. Yes. Handmade animation is a very patient and delicate process. And I am neither of those things. So <laughs> I am not the maker um, of, of sorts. I work on the creative side and also on the business side. But I do have a strong background in communications and storytelling. I've worked in promotions and storytelling throughout my adult life. And actually, as a child, I mentioned I used to write books and plays. I also used to be in a storytelling group with my mom. My mom was a professional storyteller. and I mean, like dressed up in costume, that kind of storyteller. And so we used to uh, dress up in costumes together and perform and tell stories. This is was not a, a cool moment for me in middle school. It did not do me any good in the dating world, but it, but when I look back on it, it was really kind of helping me get a really good sense of engaging audiences and figuring out who you're talking to and why. And so I think, you know, bringing my skill set, obviously, you know, from a child through my career, um, you know, it's worked really well in this space because I have a good understanding of of who we're talking to, why they should care about what we're talking about, and how we can convey stories in a way that would be really relatable um, visually. Even if people have, even if they're not listening to it with sound, they can look at the stories we're saying and understand it. So that's something that uh, the team and I have been able to collaborate on. It's um, figuring out just not not just the skill set and the technique, but also what's the concept and the story behind it. So with your style. As I mentioned, it's it's really distinct and, and unique. How have you guys developed that over time? Because even in, let's say, I think it's been about two years since I've worked with you, yes. like your style has changed and really evolved. It's yes. really fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, one is, you know, constantly looking to, um, you know, for inspiration, looking to what, you know, our, our friends and our peers are doing. Um, I would say a big big change for us in, uh, since we worked together was act in 2015 was bringing on our second partner and, or I said third partner and creative director, Michaela Olson. So Michaela Olson, uh, was actually someone that Emily knew from college and she had worked on a few projects with us early in our, in the beginnings of Mighty Oak. And, um, 
was was so good, so talented that we knew we had to bring her on board as a as a full time partner. Uh, she comes with a strong background in commercial work, but also just an incredible um, ability to design uh, new worlds in in ways that I don't know that we could have ever imagined. And so I think she's also been able to come in and take us to the next level uh, creatively. And I mean, it's it's working. So I'm going to do something. I don't normally do this, but I am impressed with just the these really large brands that you're working with. So I want to ask you like to name drop a couple of brands that you guys have worked with. So in the past year or so, we've been really fortunate enough to work with a lot of uh, great brands, including GE, um, Nick Jr., Perrier, Samsung, um, Super Deluxe. And also the New York Times, we were chosen this year to be one of the premier select animators for the New York Times's advertising arm called T-Brand Studio. So we'll be working a lot with T-Brand to create campaigns. We've done a few campaigns for them already for Don Julio Tequila and another one coming up for Discover Card. Um, so it's been really exciting to be in the space of, of brand work, but also somewhat recently, we found that we've been uh, getting requests in the TV network world, which is really exciting and not something we thought would be our trajectory, but of course are really um, happy to, to dive into. So we've recently worked on a pilot for HBO for a new director and also um, are starting a collaboration with Netflix, which will be coming out later this summer, which is really exciting. So it's, you know, at this point, we're really open to figuring out, you know, where our our work can fit. And it's exciting to see what kind of clients are interested in the kind of work we do. So, so yeah, that's where we're at now. See, oh, I just, I tell you, it's well, your work is so great. So <laughs> you guys have, I mean, you, you're a fairly small team. You said, you know, there's three of you. Uh, how are you managing working with these brands? Like, can you talk about the process? Like when you go in and a brand says, we need you guys to do this, like, how are you guys kind of like pulling this off? Sure. So there's three main partners, but we do have a pretty extensive freelance team. And that's pretty standard across production studios. All of this, I say that like I knew this, like I had no idea. I had no idea when we started how any of this worked. But we are very fortunate to have a great roster of handmade artists, uh, people who specialize in different fields. Some people are great at watercolor. Some people are great at puppetry and fabrics. So we bring people in as needed. And I think actually come later this year, we will be expanding our full-time team as well. Uh, but when we go in and we speak with clients, uh, it's usually uh, me going in on a pitch and potentially bringing Michaela or Emily with me to talk about concepts. And you know what we try to share with people is, again, getting, getting through the mission and story. We usually offer customized artwork when we go in to talk about what we can do for their brand. And you'd really try to sell them on the idea of what handmade animation can do. Honestly, even if it's not for us, that they'll pick one of our competitors because we actually feel so strongly that handmade animation is a great way to tell a story and convey ideas. So that usually, I think the passion itself and, you know, mixed with the the work that they're able to see kind of, you know, is, is what pushes people into, you know, thinking about this as, as something that their brand can use. All right. So now I have to ask the question, yes. uh, working with these big brands and knowing that handmade animation is expensive, because I, I, I want to make sure that I point out a lot of what you guys do is is like it's actually handmade. So yes. 
from like the drawings and the different the backgrounds and the characters like all of that yes you guys make that all so it's it's <laughs> it's very expensive so how do you guys monetize like at this point you're growing pretty rapidly but how have you been able to sustain this yeah. So early on, as I mentioned, you know, when I first made that business plan that didn't work for that business plan competition, what I did learn how to do was create a projection sheet. And that has been some kind of the saving grace, I think, of getting the company on its feet. By using the projection sheet, we've been able to lay out what our overhead has been, what it could be, and figure out honestly how to charge. That was the, the biggest question in my mind. And I think remains the biggest question. And that's probably... Biggest question for most companies as they get started, what do you charge, especially when you're hungry for the work and you want that client name, you know? Um, but there is somewhat of a sense of, of just understanding, well, what would it really cost to make this? And I think that gives me the confidence to, to ask to charge what we charge because I know it's it, it's justified in, in the numbers, you know, what our overhead is, the talent that we have to bring in. These people are skilled workers, you know, who went to school for this. So there's a high cost on contractors, uh, the equipment we need to use, the materials we're bringing in. So we really use our projections to, uh, to figure out how we're going to uh, price each project. And that said, sometimes, again, when you want to work with a client and they may have a more limited budget, we can what we try to offer clients is a way to back into a number because since we are handmade and everything is, the costs really come from our labor, we're able to take the work we do and scale it back a little bit so that we can make something that's still really interesting. Again, the concepts the, at the heart of it, you know, something that's really interesting and beautiful, but maybe a little bit more simplified than, you know, all the bells and whistles that they might want to do with a big budget. And so I think clients really enjoy the fact that they can work with us and figure out a solution that works for them as well. And, you know, that's what's helping us grow too, just understanding what we can do in different price points. All right. So I'd love to ask you about your work on, you guys did a lot of the work for the Dream Girl film. So how can you tell us a bit about that process? Because I think the the concept behind the movie was really awesome, but I feel like just having what you guys did with the animation work just made it even more unique. Yeah. So I met Aaron in 2015. No, I met Aaron in 2014. Aaron Bagwell, the director of, of the Dream Girl film. And at the time we met at a networking event. It was like speed dating for women in business. And we were paired and I said, hey, I'm starting a company. And at the time, it was just branding women in business. And she said, cool, I think I'm starting a film. I said, that's great. And so we stayed in touch. And over the course of her making a trailer and thinking about starting a Kickstarter, she actually came and met with a lot of the women I was helping to brand and films them at work. And that ended up in some of her Kickstarters and trailers. And so we were really you know, trying to help each other out in the space of female entrepreneurship. Come 2015, I had changed my business and Michael, uh, Emily and I had put out a, a small teaser video showing my office kind of coming to life. And when Erin saw that, she called me and said, you know, I've been trying to find a way to make this story about women in business feel more personal. And what way, what would be a better way to do that than put myself into the story? And so as she thought about that, she realized, you know, her story actually came from a place. The reason why she's made this film is because she left her job after being sexually harassed in the workplace and wanted to follow other women and their journeys through business. And so she knew to start a story with that might be a little bit of a buzzkill, you know, looking at her giving a straight interview. But what if we could 
bring animation into the picture to kind of soften, um, not to soften the message, because of course we want the message to be there, but to create, to make it feel approachable and accessible so that people were willing to stay engaged and watch more. And so we created the beginning of Dream Girl uh, telling Aaron's story using different types of painted cut paper. Once that part of the film was shown to her producers and staff, they said, actually, this would be a really great way of showing the dreams of all of these female founders in our story. So why don't we bring the animation back in throughout the piece? And so we're actually commissioned to come back and help tell the dream, tell the stories where the founders, uh, the feature founders were remembering the dreams they had as young, as young girls, making it to the next level. And so that's actually, you know, a perfect way as we're reimagining to bring animation into the picture. So that's, that's how it all came to be. And then we got to premiere it at the White House in 2016 as part of the state of Women's Summit. And so that was really exciting to join Erin and her team and the women that were featured in the film and, you know, watch their stories being told, um, you know, on the big screen. It was a really uh, one of, probably one of our uh, most accomplished moments I think we've had here. Well, it turned out fantastic and it was super inspiring. So I want to switch gears here a bit and ask you just about some of the things that you feel have made you a success at this point. So you've been doing this for several years. You've pivoted, you kind of honed in on your genius zone. So what do you feel at this point have been your keys to success? I think a big key to success is really understanding strengths. I think that was my biggest revelation and probably my smartest revelation is realizing that I can't do it all. Uh, but that I should focus on what I can do really well naturally and and build a team around me who's great at what they did and complemented the work I did. That's easier said than done. I think often people, women, you know, specifically look to their weaknesses and say, I want to fix this. And we work so much on our on those things we want to improve that we often overlook the things that feel really effortless to us. And I, I think that's a mistake. Um, because you're you're really you're missing out on on capitalizing on the things that that you can do well, and it's hard to it's hard sometimes to even recognize that what you do what comes easily to you doesn't come easily to other people, and so I think finding that was a really um, exciting revelation for me and helped was certainly part of the growth. I say the other part of of success and growth has been, I think, our mission. And our interest in building community here, you know, we know that that while we work with both men and women, we know that there has been um, a dis disproportionate amount of, of men in the industry of animation. And we'd like to see more women joining this world. There are a lot of women joining this world who are not necessarily always given bigger opportunities uh, at other agencies. And so that's something that we're committed to changing here. Uh, we look to employ women and those who identify as female at this space. We want to create an inclusive and safe space. And I think that that has created a really great community for us here and offers opportunities to meet with great creators and great brands and people who connect with what we're trying to do. And I think that's also contributed to our success. Again, so many inspirational things <laughs> that you have said. Ah. Oh. And what you said about recognizing strengths, that's so true because I, I know I struggle with that all the time and feeling like because I can do something effortlessly, like it's not that big of a deal. Like everybody can do this thing because I did it and right. it didn't take much effort. Right. But then you start talking to people and you realize like they are struggling with that. 
And I'm like, man, I just did that this morning, like right. before breakfast. <laughs> right. It wasn't even a thing. That's right. But you know, like you said, we, we have to recognize and put more energy into where we are really strong and, and filling that need there and stop trying to fix the parts that I don't want to say stop trying to fix, but stop focusing so hard on what's not working right. and just, you know, throw more energy in other space. Yeah. Like for me, and I, I'm sure, you know, if other creatives are listening, um, who might be in my shoes, they may feel, they may resonate with this. You know, I really struggled with the idea that I've always been a creative person. I've been involved in music and the arts my entire life. And I thought in order to be creative, it meant I needed to make things. Like I needed to be the one making the music or making the art and designing the things. And that was the only way I could be creative. Um, and to say I couldn't do those, and I can do those things. Um, but to say I couldn't do those things meant I felt like I was failing at being a creative but once I was able to step back and say, well, maybe the creative, the concepts, the strategy, how this gets told, the production behind it is where my creative strengths lie. You know, once I was able to like put that out there and, and look at that and say, this is, a, this is still creative once I figure that out, I think not only was I able to bring in a team who was really great at that execution that I just didn't have the skill set for, but it also allowed my brain to go even bigger because I wasn't spending so much time focusing on trying to get that design right that I just didn't have the touch for. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden now my brain is allowed to just think big and, and, you know, create ideas and, you know, ideas are coming to me, you know, a mile a minute versus when I was trying to do it all. Uh, and I was struggling to figure out where, where I should put my, my brain power, you know? So, um, it's been, yeah, it's been a really, it's been a relief. I have to say, to be honest with you, it's a relief just to say, this is what I'm good at. And here's who does the rest, you know, that's why we're a team. And that's, that's what helps keep us together. So the same question, but kind of flipped on its head. So you've talked about your success. Um, what do you feel have been some of your biggest challenges? Mm, oh gosh. <laughs> everything was a, cha everything is a challenge. And that doesn't mean it's bad. <laughs> that does not mean it's bad. But I think everything, when you're, when you're bootstrapping, especially we did, we have not, asked for or received any kind of outside investment. We have been profitable since day one. And, you know, that level of profitability ranges. I will give you a real candid note that my first year I made $15,000, <laughs> but it was my $15,000 of profit. Like the company made more. That's what I took home. Um, and I was proud of that because that was because I had done that. Now we're in a much different scenario, thankfully, um, making some like slightly more adult wages, but, um, you know, but even still, as you grow, more things come into play now that we are making more money. Well, how do we, how do you manage that money? Do you need an accountant? You know, there's more overhead to, to review and there's a lot to be, um, there's just a lot that you're constantly being given to for the first time that you're going to have to figure out how to handle. So I think challenge wise, we're always finding some new obstacle to overcome. Um, as a team, when we work together, I think that's how we get it done. But that's another challenge, figuring out how to work together as a team. You know, even though we work, the three partners work incredibly well together, you know, we're still going to all have our own opinions on how things work and how to make it happen. It's like being in a second marriage here. Um, my husband would agree. You know, you're, you're, managing, you're, you're managing money and teams who become like, like a family to you. Um, you know, this, there's a lot of voices and a mix of like business and passion that come into this. And so figuring out how to, how to keep communicating and keep your mission at the top of mind is, is a challenge I think that every company should, should recognize and, 
and embrace. I think it's important to know that these challenges are coming and it's uncomfortable conversations are going to happen and that's okay and that's healthy and that's that's what you want as long as you're all aiming for a common goal because um, you're never going to know what comes. There's no way. There's no way to know what's happened this year. I would never have imagined last year and who, and I have no idea what's to come next year. So we just need to be willing to work together and make sure we're communicating and again, keeping that common goal at heart. So if you had to sum up, you know, your biggest lesson as a creative and an entrepreneur and you had to distill it down to like one thing, what do you think that would be? My biggest lesson as a creative and entrepreneur. I, again, I'm going to say, I think it's, I think it's recognizing your strengths. I think that's recognizing your strengths as a creative. It's recognizing your strengths as a person in business. It's recognizing your strengths as a business because that helps you sell what you do or find the flaws and figure out how to improve on them. And this is, I say it because it sounds like such a simple sentence, but it's so hard to do. I actually, I had a, um, the pleasure of speaking at an alumni event for my undergraduate um, university, which is Northeastern University in Boston. And the keynote speaker uh, was LL Cool J. So I get to say I opened for LL Cool J, or I'm making that statement <laughs> right now. And, and because he was coming to talk about career longevity and he was the coolest. I was so inspired by him and his story, you know, cause he did this, he talked about the same thing. He started in music and he pivoted and he got into film and talks about that journey and what he had to do to, to, to stay there. You know, he offered great advice. I probably should just give his advice. You know, he talks about how you should, you know, never be afraid to make a fool out of yourself. Always stay aware of what the industry is doing around you. Don't get too caught up in your own space, you know, make sure you're ready for, for change um, and to recognize what you're really good at. Like he said it and I was like, cool, LL, we're like the same person. You know? <laughs> we're on the same page about this. But he, he's right. He's like, know your strengths. He's like, you have to, like, yes, you have to work hard and you need to be, you know, and, and don't let anyone stop you, but also be self-aware and recognize that it's okay if you're not great at everything. And I think that's important. Sometimes we get so caught up in like, we can do anything we want to do. That's true. But it, does that mean that's what you should do? You know, and I, I think that's a harder one, especially for millennials, because we're not really being taught that statement, um, is to recognize just because you can do it all, it doesn't mean you have to do it all. It may be more to your benefit to figure out what you can do well and then let everything else get figured out from there. Mm, so many good lessons there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> all opinions. And, I don't know. That's opinion. But LL and I well, share it. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, LL, he's been in the business for years. He knows. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so if he said it, then I'm going to take it as gospel because he's still that's right. um, working. Yes. And he's still doing this so many years later. Exactly. So <laughs> my at the end of every show, I have two questions that I always ask. Uh, the first one is the Pimp Your Brilliance Action Challenge. So that is you offering your top three tips for someone who is interested in getting started in animation. And I want to add a little piece of that. Um, could you could you also offer, if you can think of it off the top of your head, um, like what are some basic equipment that you need to get started? Mm, okay. This actually almost may be a better question for Emily and Michaela to answer, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> three, three tips for, okay, so three tips for animators. Finding your USP 
your unique selling point is really important. But this goes for any kind of creative. So I'll add this to animation. You know, what makes your technique special? Because as a freelancer or a young person looking for a full-time job, you know, you're going to be in competition with a lot of other animators. So what makes your work stand out? Are you very versatile? Do you really specialize in one thing like handmade animation? You know, you got to figure out what's going to give you that upper hand uh, over the rest. And then once you find that, I would say hone those skills, get, become an expert in your craft. It's really important. And then get to know your community. I, you know, go to as many networking events as you can, go to screenings, go to festivals, connect with other artists, because it truly is a very close community. And I think that people are introducing other people to opportunities all, every day. And so getting to know your community is a really strong, and that's for, again, for all creatives, but specifically for animators, I think a really strong way to get yourself into the business. When it comes to basic equipment, you know, there's a few different ways you can go about it. It depends on how, how pro you're trying to get in the, into the business. I mean, there, as far as professional equipment, I can give you a whole list of the Canon 5Ds we use with, the, with Nikon lenses and different kinds of lights. But I think for someone who's just trying to get started, you know, you can use your phone. There's stop motion apps on, on your smartphone that you can use. You know, um, having clip lights, you know, just that can be framed in a certain way um, and a nice smooth surface to use is great. Um, and stop motion, you want to block out any light. You don't want any natural light coming in. That's your enemy. So finding a dark room to be in. You know, if you want to go animate something like in your basement or your bathroom with, with small equipment, you can get started there. Even just to like start practicing and getting that, uh, getting the technique down. If you want to talk about like a bigger scale, that's that I should leave to Emily and Michaela because that's really, that's really their area of expertise. No, that was great. I, I'm thinking more along the lines of like somebody who has a shoestring budget if they wanted to get started tomorrow. So that's, that's perfect. Oh, good. So my final question is, uh, I always ask about books or book recommendations, but you and I talked about this before and you are more into film and TV shows. So right. what do you recommend there? So most recently I've been watching a show on Netflix called Abstract, The Art of Design. And I would recommend this for, again, for animators, for designers, um, anyone that's thinking about getting involved in, in the creative world. It's a really well done series. It features, um, I think eight different artists at the top of their, their field. Anyone from Tinker Hatfield, who of course, you know, was, was with Nike doing all of the shoes for, for Jordan, um, to Paula Cher from Pentagram, who is, um, a graphic designer and then Pentagram is one of the largest design firms in the world. You know, they tell their stories of like how they got there, what they did. And I love a good, how they got their story um, because I believe strongly. And just like we talked about at the beginning of, of the podcast, you know, the things shift and they change and you need to be willing to pivot and learn from mistakes. And like these stories all really get into the details of that, which I find really fascinating. And there's, they're beautiful stories. Like they're shot really well. The designers are great. The work is beautiful. Um, it's a it's a really cool series. So I would recommend that one, Abstract, on Netflix. Well, thank you. I'll definitely link to that in the show notes, guys. So um, if you want to check that out, you'll find that information there. And then finally, how can listeners get in contact with you or see your work? So we are, our website is mightyoakgrows.com. We're on Instagram, Mighty Oak Grows. We're on Facebook. 
We're starting up a YouTube channel of our behind the scenes videos that's coming out soon. And people can always shoot me an email at hi, H-I, at mightyoakgrows.com. And we're always happy to chat about the business side, the art side, community side, you know, life in general. <laughs> we're, we're open. We're happy to talk to artists and creatives and anyone who wants to join the community. Well, awesome. You guys definitely check out their Instagram because there are so many cute little gifs and animations there. And I can't wait for you guys to launch the YouTube channel because I would love to see the behind the scenes of what you guys do because it's really neat. Yeah, sometimes actually people like seeing how it gets made more than the final product. <laughs> so, <laughs> so stay tuned for that. There's a lot of puppet making going on in that series. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I love chatting with you. Your brand is such inspiration and I, I really absolutely love your work. So I'm, I'm so, so excited much. that you said yes. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be chatting with you today. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Learn more about this show and get access to show notes by visiting keepchasingthestars.com. While you're there, make sure you subscribe for updates. I'll be back next week. And in the meantime, go out there and pimp your brilliance.